0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants.
1: You haven't touched your cake. Don't want it. Pidge, darling, I made it especially for you. You made it because you wouldn't let me wear my gun. Drink your milk, darling. Sissy. What? That's what the guys call me. Well, I don't care what they call you. I'm your mother, and I think I know what's best for you. Pidge! Pidge, you shouldn't walk out when I'm talking to you. I thought you were finished.
2: Well, the boy's just disappointed, that's all, Ellen.
1: Dad, please stop interfering.
2: First, you cancel him out on the hike with Cub Scouts. And the next thing...
1: Pidge, go to your room.
2: I'll have this old set pregnant in a minute, son. And you and me watch the ball game.
1: Dad, I've had this for the last time.
2: Ellen, you're a grown-up girl. You got a problem you haven't worked out. That's no reason why Pidge should have your problem.
1: I've only done what I thought was right, Dad.
2: I read about an experiment once, kept germs away from a kid. Raised him pure and scientifically. First time he got out in the rough, he caught cold and died of pneumonia.
1: What does that have to do with Pidge?
2: The kid hadn't been exposed. He had no immunity. There's cruelty and hatred and tyranny in the world. You can't make believe they aren't there. And Pidge has got to learn what is the law and what isn't the law so he can defend it.
3: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade
4: into color, color into black and white. Under the
2: bedclothes, everything will be alright.
3: Back in studio with Dave Plum, who we all know is the author of Inconveniently Screwed. And in our last conversation we had, we basically ran out of time to get into all the data related to both about climate change and the coming climate pandemic lockdowns. But our conversation got into the whole vaccine pandemic and what Dave has learned from his own work and studies on that. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Thank you. Our conversation will get right underway right after our usual reminder that our listeners can write us at feedback at org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. And of course, as always, Your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Now, Dave, where did we leave off last time? We really got into a conversation there about all the stuff you were getting into. Yeah,
5: and then we took a break and forgot where we were. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, I was talking about uh, tracking cases and deaths on the Worldometer's uh, website, and I should mention probably at this point, Now we're talking about COVID now and the whole COVID situation. Sorry, We'll get back to the Canadian situation, but at the same time I started tracking that, I also started tracking and recording, monitoring uh, overall population dynamics. And when this all started, uh, this would be probably around April or May that I started in 2020, uh, world population was growing at a rate of 222,500 people per day. Now that's not burst, that's births minus deaths, that's actual population growth. 222,500 people per day. To put that into perspective, that's, uh, that's the entire population of this city, London, Ontario, every two days. It's the entire population of Canada twice over every year. It's a lot of people. Right. As of now... Well, do you think
3: that maybe that's why we're... They're talking depopulation schemes. <laughs> I
5: wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Well, you've seen my in my in my book the the hockey stick population graph, and I'm saying this is the most scary hockey stick graph you'll ever see. But as of now, we're up to uh, two hundred twenty two thousand six hundred and seventy per day. So it's gone from two twenty two five hundred per day up to two twenty two six seventy per day, and I've graphed this every month. At the beginning of every month, I I put it into a spreadsheet and I've produced a graph of it. And in a real pandemic, you would expect that births and deaths might more or less equal out or that deaths might even exceed births for a a short period of time. So you would expect to see a flattening or a dip in the population growth in correspondence with these waves of viruses come through. If you look at this line, it is a straight line. There is no flattening out. There is no dip anywhere in it. And the reason for that is because COVID has not made one iota of difference to population growth, hasn't slowed it at all. As a matter of fact, throughout this pandemic, population growth has continued to accelerate. So I look at this and I say, well, if we didn't know about COVID, we would think 2020 had been business as usual in population dynamics. Now, I realize that some people died of COVID who wouldn't have, and I'm not unsympathetic to people who've lost loved ones ones because of it. If we look at the situation in Canada, if I look at 2016, 27, 2018, and 2019 and, and, and graph that, 2016, 17, 18 Canadian deaths were pretty much a straight line relationship. For some reason, 2019 was down significantly, so there's a flattening out there. And if you if you put those numbers into a spreadsheet and you do a mathematically calculated graph line uh, it would project uh, total death count in Canada around 285 to 290,000 people but 2019 being an exceptionally good year for Canadian deaths for some reason pulls the top into that graph line down if you lay a graph line over 2016 2017 2018 over that straight line relationship it comes out for 2020 at around around 310,000 the total death count in in Canada per Statistics Canada was I think two hundred and nine thousand nine hundred and something so basically it's right on the graph line of 2016 27 2018 and 2019 being an outlier outlier if you take that out of there Any way you look at it, uh, Canadian does. Now,
3: wait a minute. Are you saying the 2019 was a dip? Yeah. Well, isn't that the year that they're really suspecting now that that was when the virus was
5: spread? Towards the end of the year, though.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because I know, I'm pretty sure that I got it at that time. Because I had a flu symptoms, and at the end of twenty nineteen, going into twenty twenty, and so did a lot of other people that I knew. I did too. I yeah. and you know the word is out now that yeah, that virus was already well in circulation by October,
5: September, October of that year. Well, it was in circulation for at least four months. I mean, even if you fig- if you accept the beginning of January date uh, when. The Chinese first let on that it was out there. It had four months to roam around. Oh, yeah. Around the world. I mean, the analogy I use to this is like, it's like that horse was out of the barn and out of sight over the horizon before anybody ever tried to close the barn door. I agree. And all we can do now is lament the loss and muck out the stall. (laughs) that's what we've been doing for the last year and a half. But anyway, to come back to the Canadian situation, I would have, uh, before 2020 ever started, I would have projected overall Canadian deaths of all causes in the ballpark of 300,000 to 310,000. And it turned out to be just a little less than 310,000. So again, if you look at the overall population dynamics, take the emotion out of it of who died, who shouldn't have, and who shouldn't have died, who didn't, and so on. If you take that emotion out of it and just look at the numbers... Twenty twenty was business as usual. Right. So what I'm saying is that yes, there were people who died of COVID who perhaps would not have died in twenty twenty, but there were an equal number of people who died of other things. <laughs> you know, it's 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 hard. To, it's
3: hard. Well, I don't. I don't trust any of the stats, no, and I don't. I don't, I don't even it, right? believe that one percent of the people they say who died of COVID actually died of it. Yeah, Uh, They might have died with that virus because we have hundreds of thousands of viruses in our bodies and that they're just using this for a front.
5: But anyway, the the point is whether you look at global statistics or whether you look at Canadian statistics, the projections at the beginning of 2020, you could have projected population either way and it came out at the end of 2020 to be exactly what the projections would have been. Mm -hmm. So looking at the numbers, the overall numbers and taking all the emotion out of it, it's like, Births and deaths worldwide and in Canada were basically business as usual. Yes. Daddy. If 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 this whole big pandemic storm hadn't blown up, we would we would never know about it just looking at the numbers. But per statistics Canada, okay, and this goes back to I think last year they're talking uh, obviously because they're referencing July thirty first, so this is twenty twenty. of the COVID-involved deaths of Canadians under the age of 45 as of July 31st had at least one other disease or condition, which is a comorbidity factor certified on the medical certificate of death. The proportion of those with at least one other disease or condition decreases with age, ranging from 93% for those aged 45 to 64 to 89% for those aged 85 years and older. This is interesting. The WHO defines death due to COVID as a death resulting from a clinically compatible illness in a probable or confirmed COVID-19 case, unless there is a clear alternative cause of death that cannot be related to COVID disease. Translation, if in doubt, call it COVID. Right. Okay. Many of these conditions are significantly more prevalent among Canadians aged 65 or older who accounted for 94% of all COVID-involved deaths in the first wave when they were only testing sick people. As a point of comparison, the most common influenza comorbidities recorded between 2016 and 2018 were similar to those recorded for COVID-19 during the first wave. So in other words, other viruses that have gone around have killed people just the same as COVID did. And we never locked the whole world down because of it. There's another uh, website. Uh, I didn't make note of where this came from, uh, although I did in my email. The overall number of comorbidities involved in a COVID-19 fatality runs from a low of 202 in the zero to 24 age band and a high of 2.37 in the 65 to 74 age band. So so on average, people have two and a half of these comorbidity factors, which is obesity, uh, heart disease, diabetes are the, are the big three. Uh, the New York Times actually looked into this, which is surprising because it's mainstream media and you wouldn't expect to find something like this from the New York Times. Article published August 29th in and 2020, and this is talking about the uh, PRC test. PCR test. PCR, polymers chain reaction test, PCR test. And there's uh, cycles that go through. this number of application cycles needed to find the virus called sure. the cycle threshold.
3: Yeah, we've been through that a lot of times, yeah. <laughs> the cycle
5: threshold is never included in the results sent to doctors and coronavirus patients, although it could tell them how infectious the patients are. In three sets of testing data that included cycle thresholds compiled by officials in Massachusetts, New York, and Nevada, up to 90% of people testing positive carried barely any virus. Most tests set the limit at 40, a few at 37, which means if you're positive for the coronavirus, if the test process required up to 40 cycles or 37 to detect the virus, tests with thresholds so high may detect not just live virus, but genetic fragments, leftovers from infection that pose no particular risk. The CDC's own calculations suggest that it is extremely difficult to detect any live virus in a sample above a threshold of 33 cycles. And there's a quote from a Dr. Mina here in Massachusetts Who says from 85 to 90% of people who tested positive in July with a cycle threshold of 40 would have been deemed negative if the threshold were 30 cycles? None of those people should be contact traced. 85 to 90%. So there we are with this PCR test and what I look at and say. You know, if you tested positive, were you really positive? I don't even think it matters. No, because facts don't matter.
6: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Melbourne, you can put your coat back on. Are you through already? That's right. What's the verdict? You have a cold. (laughs) I knew that when I came in. Now, what are you going to do for it? I'm going to recommend that you eat sensibly, drink lots of fluids, get plenty of rest. And in a week or ten days, you'll be all right. But oh, wait a minute. Aren't you going to give me a shot of something? Well, if you insist, I imagine I have some brandy around somewhere. <laughs> I i mean a shot for my cold, like penicillin. Brandy do you just as much good, and it won't hurt. What kind of a doctor are you? I am a busy one. Now, I'll see you later. Roy? Oh, come on, Hilbert. I've told you before, there is no cure for the common cold. Oh, and why did you have me come over here? I didn't. You barged into my waiting room without an appointment. Well, you certainly got me in here in a hurry. Well, of course I did. The way you were coughing and sneezing around my other patients, you were a menace to public health. What a You haven't done one thing that I couldn't have done myself. Fine. Next time, save yourself the $10. Take my turn.
1: Well, I'm, you... I'm
4: afraid I have to hurry right back to the office.
1: All right, I'll squeeze you in ahead of Jack.
4: <laughs> uh, I meant I have to get back there immediately. You see, Mr. Drysdale isn't feeling well. Mr. Drysdale is ailing? <laughs> Fetch him over. <laughs> it's just a cold, Granny, and that's one thing you doctors haven't conquered yet. What do you mean? Well, there is no known cure for the
1: common cold. You mean to tell me that city doctors ain't got no cure for a cold?
4: Well, they can alleviate the symptoms, but no one has a cure. Well, Granny has. She's been making it as long as I remember. A cold cure? One spoonful's all it takes. But the greatest research scientists and doctors in the world have been working on this problem.
1: Well, tell them to stop it. I come up with a cold cure 45 years ago. <laughs> you did? Well, I thought everybody knew. It was wrote up in the Razorback Hog Breeders Gazette.
6: Right on the front page.
4: <laughs> yeah, doctors and scientists don't read that. But
1: how can I get the word to them?
4: I'll take that up with Mr. Drysdale. Well,
6: then tell him to cheer up. Randy's going to cure his cold.
1: Yes,
4: I'll warn. Uh, tell him. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
6: So,
3: Dave,
5: the big question. Are you going to be getting a vaccine? Is that sure. your intention? No time soon, I won't say never, but I want to see what happens with the phase 3 clinical trials. See, me,
3: I would say never, because I, I feel like I know enough information that, first of all, I don't see any purpose to this vaccine. I see no purpose to it. It's not even a vaccine. It's experimental gene therapy. And it was planned long before any of the viruses were released or came out. And we know this. This has been long talked about. So I, cannot, I, can't, I can't fathom a single reason why anyone would want to take this and for what purpose other than the coercion that's involved in the lockdowns.
5: Well, I've, I've got a whole list here that I'll go through of things that concern me about these experimental gene therapies being passed off as vaccines. Number one is insufficient time for proper clinical trials. Well, that's a given, yeah. And I think this is from the CDC site. Not sure I got it. Anyway, phase one clinical trials involve up to 100 volunteers and take several months. Phase two clinical trials involve hundreds of people and take from several months to two years. Okay, so we're from several months up to several months up to... So we're up to two years and several months now for phase one and two trials. Phase three clinical trials involve thousands of people and take from one to four years. There's been nowhere near enough time for these things to have gone through proper clinical trials.
3: Yeah, but the clinical trials going on right now, we're it. The people who are taking these shots aren't... Bingo.
5: Right. Bingo. There's millions of people enrolled in the phase three clinical trials. They just haven't been told that they're enrolled in clinical trials.
3: So then, in other words, those time constraints that you put there, we're still in the middle of it, and we're going to find out about this over the next... No, we're not in the middle of it. We're just beginning. Well, we're just beginning. That's right.
5: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've got another one to four years to go before we find out, you know, how these vaccines are really going to work in the long run. Well, how interesting, because that's the time span that they're now talking about keeping the lockdowns going on a rotating basis of some sort. Well, they'll keep them going forever if they can. Yeah. The other thing is there's no product liability with this. Now, product liability means that if you use a product, Something that somebody's produced and and that product causes you harm, you can sue that person or that company, right? Mm-hmm. Governments have given the pharmaceutical manufacturers who are making these so-called vaccines carte blanche immunity from prosecution. If this vaccine causes you distress or kills you, you can't sue them. Of course, if you're dead, you can't sue them either. But neither can your survivors. You're on your own with it. Right. It's virtually the only product on the planet that does not come with product liability, and now they're talking about vaccine passports, which means that if you want to travel anywhere, like it or not, you're going to have to get it.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, it's scary. Beyond that, I see that being expanded to okay. Well, we've got you nailed on travel. How about you know going to work, going out to shop, going out to sports events? going to the theater, going out with friends. I mean, where does this end? There's a movement legally, of course, speaking that, you know,
3: despite all these protections against liability, which is the same thing a lot of people who said, I was just obeying orders, believed they had during the last war. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Nuremberg trials, that something similar to that may yet happen, and the people involved in this will not be protected in the end. But by
5: then, an awful lot of damage would have had to been done. A lot of people might be dead by then. Well, they already are. But (laughs) I found some information on what they call ADE, which is antibody-dependent enhancement, in which uh, vaccinated animals, when subsequently challenged, meaning infected by the actual virus, suffered far more serious consequences than did unvaccinated animals similarly challenged by the same virus. The term for that is VADE, which is Vaccinated Associated Disease Enhancement. Now, that was found... In animal trials with SARS1 that came around in what, 2005. Mm-hmm. And the conclusions following those trials were that these vaccines were not suitable for proceeding to I mean, these were preclinical trials on animals. And the conclusion for that was that these vaccines were too dangerous to put into clinical trials with human beings. So they just abandoned the effort. So when the SARS-2 came through, they said, oh, well, you know, we can't develop a vaccine for this virus. Through conventional killed virus means we have to come up with something different. So they came up with this mRNA, this messenger RNA vaccine. Messenger RNA is a gene editing molecule. It can change your DNA. That's what messenger RNA does. Right. that's, That's how evolution happens. That's how mutation happens. Now they're saying, we're going to inject it into your body, but it's not going to change your metabolism. It's not going to have any effect on your body. All, quote, unquote, all it's going to do is go into your cells and it's going to turn on genetic machinery in those cells to make those cells produce something those cells weren't intending to produce. And what those cells produce is going to protect you from this virus. My understanding of immunology, and again, I'm not an expert in this area at all, but my understanding is that if you get immunity through exposure to the virus, that you also have a large measure of immunity to any of its variants, because variants aren't that much different from the virus itself. In fact, the
3: the, the research is now out that that's the case, and you're, you're protected for life even if you were completely asymptomatic. Long as you've
5: been in touch with the virus and you've gone through it, you're okay. Which makes me wonder, is this why... It- does it strike anybody else strange that this is the first virus ever to come around that's come in waves? Well, did we ever have waves of H one N one or H X N X, whatever it was? Well, we did not, well, no. and we never shut down the world for the first one. I call them waves of fascism. That's what I call them because it's it's yeah. completely
3: politically driven. That's the thing that we have to keep our focus on too. Yeah. So
5: now they're talking about quote unquote breakthrough infections. Yeah, which means. Oh, it doesn't mean that the vaccine doesn't work. It just means you have a breakthrough infection, which to me is very much like, a, what what was the term Kathleen Wynne used? Oh, a stretch goal. Mm. Meaning something we never intended to, a promise we never intended to keep in the first place. It was a stretch goal. So this isn't a vaccine that doesn't work. It's just a breakthrough infection. Right. And I want to see the results of the people, you know, The people that are in phase three clinical trials, the millions all over the world that have been vaccinated already, I want to see how they fare over the next few years before i decide whether i'm going to take the shot now at some point if i want to travel and we'll probably even dine out or go to a show or do anything at some point i'm probably going to be forced to take it or just live as a hermit cocooned. but
3: out. is that is that a reason to take a vaccine just because some politician says you can't go watch a movie that to me if it's not health oriented why would you even
5: consider it i don't know if you're facing fines of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands well, the of the same thing doing it i mean it's it's Bob, if it comes to that point, I really don't care if I die because I won't be living anyway. I mean, a lot of times I don't feel like I'm living now. Right now, I feel like most days, a lot of days, I feel like I'm just putting in time waiting to die. Well, that's what they're doing to all of us right now with this lockdowns.
3: And I think that's what they want us to do. The quicker, the better, as far as our leaders and politicians are concerned. I find the whole thing completely offensive. And I mean, even even the the inventor of the these new vaccines his name is Robert Malone and he's come out speaking strongly against them and how dangerous this has been and now they're even erasing his name from history and he he has taken the vaccine and regrets it said so publicly and of course that was all censored although I happened to grab a copy of those of those conversations before they censored them
5: well, and there's a fairly long letter that doctor, what was his name, I'm going on memory near here now, I might not have it right, Dr. Michael Yeadon, I think is yeah, the CEO of Pfizer, right? who stepped down as CEO when he saw what was going on. and He's he, one of their chief scientists. Yeah. yeah. And if you read what he wrote about it, and <laughs> you've taken the vaccine, like, you got reason to lose sleep.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we featured him on some past broadcasts. Yeah. And, of course, there's a whole issue of, you know, you mentioned uh, when you're looking at the stats that you wouldn't even know there was anything going on with the population or that there was any kind of pandemic, which I think is the reason that they're forcing people to wear masks. Masks are the advertising to keep us aware that there is some kind of pandemic. If, If people weren't walking around wearing masks, what would you know? You wouldn't know anything. Yeah.
0: Unless you've been living under a rock for the past 15 months, you may have noticed that there's been a little bit of censoring happening across the internet. You know, a smidgen of blocking, a morsel of banning, a trickle of deletion. But this insanity didn't just start 15 months ago, no, 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 no. no. It started way back in 2018 and it's been ramping up ever since to where we are now. Kinda like how we've ramped up from two weeks to flatten the curve to this.
7: Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do.
0: So what happened back in 2018 that started this trend of banning, you ask? Alex Jones happened. And as was said at the time, sure, freedom of speech is important and banning people is wrong, but Alex Jones is different. But it's never just one time, is it? That one-time exception eventually even reached the president of the United States. So after all of that, who's left? Oh, that's right doctors and scientists we've now entered the phase where we are straight up 1984 ministry of truth style rewriting history so what do i mean by this well recently there's been a lot of attention on dr robert malone after he appeared on the dark horse podcast to express his concerns regarding the mrna vaccine now why is robert malone's opinion on the vaccine important because he is the literal inventor Of the mRNA vaccine.
8: They were aware that there was a risk of a spike being biologically active and having adverse events if it did not stay stuck to the cells that were transfected that got the RNA and made it. Okay, And and they used a genetic engineering method of putting a transmembrane domain on it to ensure that it stayed anchored and stayed put. And they did limited non-clinical studies to say, looks like it stays stuck. Right. We engineered it to stay stuck. They did. And and uh, they published that. Here's right. the thing. Special engineered. That's generally not good enough in a non-clinical data package. So before we get a product released to use in humans, in the normal situation where we're not in a rush, we have some really rigorous tests that have to be done in animals. And um, revealing that spike gets cleaved off of expressed cells and becomes free is something that absolutely should have been known and understood well before this ever gotten put into humans. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: the thought police. I'm sorry sir but you've had too much to think. We're gonna have to revoke your medical license. Unsurprisingly he's been attacked online due to his relevance to the conversation and social media scientists have made shallow attempts to attack his character. But like I said none of that was enough this time. It goes even further. By visiting an archive of Wikipedia's RNA vaccine page on the Wayback Machine we can see that on June 14th he was extensively included in the history section of the page. The page reads, In 1989, Robert W. Malone, P. Feldner, et al. developed a high efficiency in vitro and in vivo RNA transfection system using cationic liposomes, which were used to directly introduce RNA into whole tissues and embryos, as well as various cell types. The term and idea of RNA as a drug is first described in this paper. Then in 1990, John A. Wolfe and Robert W. Malone demonstrated the idea of nucleic acid encoded drugs by direct injecting in vitro transcribed mRNA or plasmid DNA into the skeletal muscle of mice which express the encoded protein in the injected muscle. The first mRNA vaccine experiments were carried out by P. Feldner, J. Wolf, G. Rhodes, R. W. Malone, and D. Carson P. They completed a number of mRNA vaccination studies that resulted in nine patents on mRNA vaccination, with a shared priority date of March 21st, 1989. Fast forward two days later and just five days after the release of the podcast, and the entry has been changed to remove his name and downplay his involvement. In 1989, researchers at the Salk Institute, the University of California, San Diego, and vikel published work demonstrating that mRNA using liposomal nanoparticle for drug delivery could transfect mRNA into a variety of eukaryotic cells. In 1990, the University of Wisconsin reported positive results where naked or unprotected mRNA was injected into the muscle of mice. The use of RNA vaccines goes back to the 1990s. The in vitro demonstration of mRNA in animals was first reported in 1990, and the use of mRNA for immunization was proposed shortly thereafter. In 1993, Martinin demonstrated that liposome encapsulated RNA could stimulate T cells in vivo, and in 1994, Zhu and Berglund published the first evidence that RNA could be used as a vaccine to elicit both humoral and cellular immune response against pathogens. Since this June 6. 16th edit to remove Robert's name. Further revisions and edits have been made to leave the page a ghost of what it once was. Hungarian biochemist Katalin Karikó is now praised as the pioneer of mRNA vaccines. And why would that be? Well, because she's the senior vice president of BioNTech. You know, the creator of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. She also just so happens to be a Hungarian communist spy, but that's a topic for another video. Now, what makes this all especially concerning is that this entry is not only discrediting him, but this is revisionism of history. Maybe someday if we find a journal where Einstein espoused something that we don't quite like, we'll witness some more of this revisionism to history. And rightfully so. Because history doesn't belong to those who make it, it belongs to those who publish it.
3: You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. At least we hope you're able to listen to the show in case we haven't been censored on whatever social media you're connecting to the show through. And Dave, of course, that's one of the big problems we have with this entire issue is the unparalleled and unprecedented amount of censorship surrounding it, which to me is like alarm bells ringing to a deafening point. And the fact that people do not see that as being a danger signal is a little bit frightening in and of itself. And some people even support the whole idea of censorship because they don't want to know the truth or something. I don't know what, what do you think that's
5: all about? I have no idea. I don't know why people would not want to know the truth. Um. (laughs) Maybe
3: they've already taken the vaccine and and to hear about it, they don't really want to hear what the
5: possible potentials are. Well, and I I sympathize with people who have taken the vaccine because they had to to keep working, for instance. And there are a lot of those out there. Um, People I know, folks that have parents in, you know, long-term care facilities and they can't go to to visit their parents unless they're both fully vaccinated. So, you know, they've taken the vaccine even though they had some misgivings about it because it's it's like I say, it's a matter of taking it or not living a normal life. But yeah, the censorship on all media has just...
3: I, I, don't, I don't think even taking it is ever going to lead back to a normal life. Not if the politicians who are running things now take control of this. I, I think it's, you know, it's the new normal. Let's face it. That's what, what they we, want. What, what are we up to now? The Delta wave? Oh, I don't know. I, I had a listener a while ago send us uh, uh, an email saying that he, he, he has identified every one of the new variants. Yeah, it just basically went alpha beta
5: all the way through the the Greek alphabet, right? From alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, Golf, Hotel, India, yeah. On we go. Yeah, but so anyway, I want to talk about um, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin because these are two treatments that might possibly be effective at at helping people live through COVID infection. Well, they already know they work. Now, the discussion of these has pretty much been banned from oh, yeah. all forms of media. I mean, you know. I mean.
3: Well, as soon as Trump mentioned it, and of course in his speech he gave in, uh, when he was in Florida, in Sarasota, he made an emphatic note that, you know,
5: hydroxychloroquine works. He repeated it over and over and over again. Yeah, but this, is from, this isn't from Trump. This is from the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology. Okay, this is a respected scientific journal. Based on all evidence, we hypothesize that HCQ, which is hydroxychloroquine, and ivermectin could act in a consequential and synergistic manner, hydroxychloroquine would behave as a first-level barrier by inhibiting the entry of the virus into the host cell, while ivermectin could reduce viral replication if the virus did get in, strengthening hydroxychloroquine antiviral effects. HCQ is cheap to produce and safe if monitored properly. Ivermectin seems to be safe and well-tolerated with no serious drug-related adverse events. Moreover, the two drugs do not seem to have a between-drug interaction, so they're not counterindicated. However, no in vitro or in vivo studies have been conducted on the combined effect of HCQ and ivermectin on SARS-CoV-2 infection. Ours is only a hypothesis and a suggestion, but if not now, when should researchers share ideas? When was that printed? What was the date on that? Because I think that's don't been ha- done since. I don't have a date on that, but something
3: that's come up. Uh, in- and there's been testimonies of so many doctors, and we've heard them on our past broadcasts, who've just come out and say, yeah, these things work. And, and they were screaming it out loud from the very beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's just that nobody's listening to the doctors or listening to officials.
5: So there's this cytokine storm thing, which right. is basically your immune system going into overdrive. And I think it's what following the vaccine? Is that what happens?
3: Yes, because it's
5: creating spike
3: proteins, and the spike
5: proteins initiate yeah, a I sequence of events. I don't understand it that well, but apparently um, some treatments for, for this can generate this cytokine storm, which basically turns your immune system against itself. Because they're not using a killed virus, they're using something a little different, and and the immune system uh, apparently doesn't react to it immediately, but eventually realizes that this is a foreign invader, and says, oh my God, we've let this go on too long. Then it goes into overdrive and creates problems of its own that can kill you. But here's from a study, uh, this is from the University of Michigan. Critically ill COVID-19 patients who receive a single dose of, I'm going to try to pronounce this, toquilazumab, toquilazumab, were 45% less likely to die overall and more likely to be out of the hospital or off a ventilator one month after treatment. Now, these are critically ill people that have, this is dealing with the cytokine storm. Uh, The study published in the peer-reviewed journal Clinical Infectious Diseases suggests a benefit from timely and targeted efforts to calm the cytokine storm caused by the immune system's overreaction to the coronavirus. Togilizumab, Hard name to Don't worry about it. (laughs) Originally designed for rheumatoid arthritis. So here's a medicine that was um, originally designed to treat rheumatoid arthritis that might be effective in treating COVID. And I find this interesting for one reason. From from Johns Hopkins University. There's a quote here. Hydroxychloroquine is an antimalarial drug which is relatively safe and well-tolerated agent for the treatment Of rheumatoid arthritis. Right. So this toxolumazab, whatever, originally designed for rheumatoid arthritis, okay? Hydroxychloroquine, well, tolerated agent for treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. So it seems that some of these medicines that were designed for other things, antimalarial, are also effective in treating rheumatoid arthritis, but two of them are also apparently effective in treating COVID-19. Why are we not studying the hell out of this?
3: Well, we know the reason. Because the people who are pushing the vaccines on us don't want those drugs to compete with the vaccine. All the answers, every, every single road leads to vaccines. Yeah. And so anything that gets in the way of that is not allowed in the discussion. And that, to me, is, is the number one underlying impetus of all of this. We're, we're dealing with a bunch of criminals, as far as I'm concerned, who want to stick us with a needle with poison in it, as far as I'm concerned, and for whatever reason, you can put whatever motivation you want, but it's wrong to the core. And not one of us should be subject to this. We shouldn't be locked down. We shouldn't have to wear masks. The whole thing is, is an unprecedented fascist regime that we are experiencing in a supposedly free country. And I think, see, the whole thing is political. I mean, I see the, the necessity of having to understand the facts behind the lies, okay, because that's the only way you can expose the lie. Mm-hmm. But the real truth is all about politics. It's not about doctors. And I see doctors struggling with the same issues. I see them all questioning this and questioning that. And I'm going, well, that's because they're completely out of touch with the politics. Yeah. And they don't realize who's actually running the show. It's not doctors. It never has been, although there are officials who pass as doctors and officials, you know, like Theresa Tam. <laughs> and the group like that, and, and what's his name, Fauci. Fauci, yeah. And they've all got interests, and they've all got political interests buried deep in this. And their, their stories change with every other day. I <laughs> mean, some of the stupid things they've said. So that, that, to me, tells me that they're on the wrong side. And the, and the issue of censorship, of course, is the biggie. Once you get into censorship, you know that you're dealing with the person who's in the wrong. In my whole history of politics, I have never seen censorship applied to anything except that which is true. There's no, yes. re- there's no reason to censor a lie. You can let that go forever because it can always be disproven. Because people will know it's a lie. Right. But if you're dealing with the truth and you don't
5: want people to discover it... Then you put the lie out there and you censor everything else. So right.
3: That's what you have to do.
5: Yeah. And that's,
3: that should be such basic knowledge
5: to every human being, and yet it doesn't seem to be. Well, and I agree with you that people should have a choice. I mean, if you have doubts about the efficacy or the safety of something that's injected into you, you should have the right to to decline having it injected. Well, we do, but they're just not honoring our right. (laughs) Yeah, we do for now. I saw a headline just recently about Joe Biden saying that they are going to go door to door, knocking on doors to see if people have been vaccinated, right. encouraging them to take the shot. And I'm thinking, okay. They're doing that in Toronto too. Are they? Yep. And, I, and I'm saying, okay, so suppose they come to your door and you haven't been vaccinated and they say, what about it? Do you want to take it? And you say, no. Do they come back the next day or next week or next month or next year with the army and say, get out here, we're holding you down? And Sounds like the plan. does, that, doesn't
3: it? It does sound like the plan. Yeah, I, I, I see no reason why they wouldn't. I mean, the things that they've already
5: done are so unconscionable. And people are going to call that conspiracy theory. And I I mean, the topic of well, my original subject line on my original email was that I'm a conspiracy theorist, apparently by today's well, definitions, as, because if you question anything, even though you have really good facts on your side, if you question it, you're a conspiracy theorist. And and my question about taking these vaccines, people that, that are fully vaccinated and are worried about being exposed to me because I'm not fully vaccinated? What does that mean? Does that mean that that they don't believe the vaccine works?
3: No, it means they believe the propaganda, because the propaganda, which is totally contrary to any known science, <laughs> tells them that everybody has to be vaccinated or it won't work.
5: They've but, never learned that a vaccine is for the person who takes the vaccine. Well, yeah, and that's my thinking. If you've been vaccinated, why are you worried about whether I carry the virus? And I'm, you're immune for god's sake yeah exactly that's the reality of the situation (laughs) and
3: if you're alone if you've already had the if you've already had the virus you're double plus immune compared to anything a vaccine will give you and yet if you say that on facebook or any of those they come up and they say the
5: opposite complete lie they take down your post yeah one or the other and if you keep putting it up too often then they remove your account I mean, yes. the censorship is... I've already been threatened with that on my personal Facebook account, yeah. So, so, so if you don't believe the vaccine works, why'd you take it? Bingo.
7: <laughs> the deadly dangers of the toxic experimental vaccines are rightly getting a good deal of attention, but the danger of mask wearing has been largely forgotten, and that's a huge mistake. If the vaccine doesn't kill the zombies and the chances are that the masks will do the job very effectively amazingly no long-term trials have been performed to show the effectiveness or the safety of wearing a face mask the masks of course have nothing to do with infection they're about control compliance so it's nice no surprise to hear government advisers warning time and time again that masks are here to stay permanently just the other day Someone called Susan Michi, Mitchi, whatever, said that masks and everything else should be permanent to boost public health. Like most of those pontificating about these things, she's not a medical doctor, of course. She's a psychologist and an expert on behavioral compliance. And that tells us all we need to know. At no previous time in history have huge numbers of people been forced to wear masks. The long-term physical and psychological consequences are unknown, though those ordering the masks be worn should be aware of the extraordinary risks and of the way that masks can, of course, be used to oppress and subjugate a population. The big lie which the WHO and governments everywhere want to disseminate is that wearing masks is essential to control COVID-19. Really? A study by the University of East Anglia concluded that wearing masks was of no benefit and could increase infection. Experts in respiratory disease and infection protection from the University of Illinois explained that face masks have no use in everyday life, neither as self-protection nor to protect other people. For well over a year, I've been studying the science behind mask wearing and it's truly scary. Long-term mask wearing is deadly. Medical doctors don't recommend it. My professional judgement based on an extensive study of all the available evidence is that those who wear a mask every day will, if they survive the experimental jab for 10 years, be dead or demented as a result of their mask wearing. The truth is that the whole mask wearing exercise has been part of a scaremongering campaign which has been organised to terrify people so that they'll put up with living in a fascist society and accepting toxic experimental jabs as their route to freedom. I'm not alone as regarding mask-wearing as dangerous and useless. When the COVID-19 hoax began, authorities around the world announced that mask-wearing was pointless and it was widely agreed by experts that they could probably do more harm than good. The World Health Organisation supported this general view, which was in accordance with just about all the available scientific evidence. Medical advisers around the world agreed that there was no need to wear masks. In March 2020, Professor Whitty, the UK's chief medical officer, said that wearing a face mask had almost no effect on reducing the risk of contracting COVID-19. He said that the UK government didn't advise healthy individuals to wear masks. Also in 2020, a White House coronavirus advisor claimed that face coverings were not effective in stopping the spread of the coronavirus. His tweet on the subject was removed by Twitter. Later, during the year, the story suddenly changed. Although there didn't seem to be any scientific evidence supporting such a dramatic change, the World Health Organization suddenly supported face mask wearing. And almost instantly around the world, governments changed their views, and decided that everyone should wear a mask or two.
3: I have to be honest with you, Dave. The most offensive thing to me about this whole COVID situation is the whole idea of forcing people to wear masks and the whole mask routine, which to me is nothing but submission. It's a sign of submission to an omnipotent state that thinks it has a right to deprive you of rights. And everything I've heard about masks is not good. What is your research telling you?
5: Oh, not good? Yeah. (laughs) There was a University of Florida study uh, published here June 13th. I'm just going to read through this. Sure. Uh, A group of parents uh, were finding that their kids were coming home from school with terrible face rashes. And these kids had been forced to sit in class for whatever they sit in, six or eight hours, whatever it is, wearing masks. All the time i don't think they were even allowed to take them off at recess they weren't allowed to take them off even if they were socially distanced i call and it I, I call it child abuse uh yeah <laughs> but anyway and there's pictures on the internet of the rashes on these kids faces it looks pretty bad so a group of parents got together and they took several of these masks and they sent them to a lab to have them tested to see what might be causing this rash they found 11 dangerous pathogens on these masks streptococcus pneumoniae which is pneumonia right okay uh myobacterium tuberculosis tuberculosis uh i'll just go through the common names here meningitis and sepsis keratitis not even sure what that is here's one that's uh a Acinetobacter baumaniae and it just says resistant to antibiotics. To me, that's an MRSA, uh, um, methicillin-resistant streptococcus, something like that, MRSA. It's flesh-eating disease. Oh, dear. Okay. Food poisoning, that's E. coli, right? You get that in feces, E. coli? Yeah. (laughs) It's on the masks. Lyme disease, diphtheria. Uh, Legionnaire's disease, severe infections, and another one, oh, Staph aureus, which causes meningitis and sepsis as well. So you don't have to worry about your kid getting COVID in an age group that has effectively a 0% mortality rate from COVID. Right. All you have to worry about is pneumonia, tuberculosis, meningitis, sepsis, flesh-eating disease, Lyme disease, diphtheria, and Legionnaire's disease. That's good, all. Good trade-off, eh? Right. You
3: know, I even heard one of the doctors suggest that when you wear a mask, you can catch the COVID virus from yourself because what you're doing is incubating it. Yes. And you're constantly breathing in the same
5: CO2, by the way, which they're, they're trying to eliminate in a climate change issue. And you're putting it into a mask, which is a nice, warm, moist environment, which yep. propagates these kinds of things. But here's the thing. These were, these were kids in public school. Yeah. In a group that, as I say, has an effectively a 0% mortality rate from COVID.
3: Oh, exactly. But to me, that's even irrelevant. I don't care if we're talking about a 90-year-old person. They shouldn't be wearing a
5: mask. Next question. How many adults wear these masks all day at work?
3: Yeah, I see them. I see them walking outside the window here, right?
5: So if all this stuff's building up on the masks of children do you really think if you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s that it's not building up on your mask? Right. I think it must be. Of course it is. And and how often do you, I read someplace, that a surgical mask should be changed every 20 minutes. That's correct. <laughs> well, people don't change their masks every 20 minutes. They go in in the morning and they wear them all day and take them off at night and go in the next day and wear the same mask, right? Yeah. I mean, I... Everything they're
3: they're doing to us is designed to make us more sick. Yeah. That's as far oh, as
5: yeah. the COVID I, thing goes. I hate wearing a mask. I I do it because I'm aware of other people's sensibilities and I don't want to make enemies and offend other people and I can put up with it.
3: Well, why do you accept them f- offending you then? Aren't you don't you think they have a responsibility to you to not offend you by we- by their wearing a mask?
5: They have no right to to put that on That's you. That's the way I see it. That's not how they see it. It's a one-way street. Well, it shouldn't be. No, I I agree. It's it's not right. It's it's not right. It's It's all virtue signaling on their part. Of course it is. It's not right, but it's how it is.
3: I I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, so... That's the nature of fascism. That's what happened in Hitler's Germany. People people complied with everything that Hitler said, and then they rounded
5: up the Jews instead of the people who weren't wearing the mask. Well, I think in my email somewhere, I made a comment about uh, you know taking the vaccine is going to become a, the same sort of choice as a Jew in Germany had in the 1930s right. about getting on a boxcar. You yeah. could say no.
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> well, people but, don't know their history, and they don't know... The, you know, they can't tell the difference between what is a medical issue from a political issue. Yeah. I remember when I first started talking about this whole issue of COVID and the release of the, the vac, you know, the whole thing from the very beginning. And I think we're going back to February of March last year. Mm-hmm. And I sort of began with a foreword to the whole issue. And I said, we have to recognize that we have the stupidest population out there ever created in decades and decades we have a population that's afraid of the weather that's afraid of the climate that understands nothing about nothing they don't understand statistics they don't understand mathematics and so in that kind of a pardon upon climate (laughs) Mm. um, they're just ready for the picking from anybody who wants to control them and and the masking thing, I always use it as an analogy. I say, well, what they're doing is they're masking their real intentions. And their intentions are to destroy Western civilization and, and to destroy business. And remember, Ayn Rand wrote a book way back in the 60s. She called it The New Left. And the subheading was, And the Anti-Industrial Revolution. This is what we're still seeing today. It's the same left today, and now it's an anti-business revolution. They're letting the big... Corporate businesses who all have an interest in COVID and all that, they, they're fine. Um, they don't let the average guy who's running a restaurant or a, or a club or a, you know exercise place, which is insane, again, to run, let alone what they're doing to religious people. The attack on Christians and mm-hmm. all the rest. It is just frightening that people aren't putting the pieces together. And I think that's one of the reasons we need to repeat these facts for people. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we've covered today and on our last get-together are not new to me and you probably, but a lot of people, they just forget, and a lot of people have never heard it before. And repetition is how the left wins, and we don't do enough of that, those of us on the right. We just look at the truth, and then we say it, and, okay, how come you haven't accepted the truth, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's part of the problem is that the right doesn't repeat itself the way the left does. The left just keeps on going and going and going and going.
5: Well, there's the old nugget of, if you tell a big enough lie, often enough it gets believed. But I I think as a society we have become so fearful of dying that we're now terrified of living.
3: Wow. Can't argue with that. <laughs> a lot of people are in that state. Yeah. And I think that's... Um, what's what's the trade-off then what's the trade-off for a person who who lives like that i've seen a lot of people too who are so terrified of this virus yeah. they literally it rules their daily existence
5: and the stories keep changing when this first came out they said we're going to flatten the curve for 2 weeks and and eventually you know it'll spread through the population and and we'll have herd immunity or something like 70% of the population is Um, You know, has been infected and survived, we'll have herd immunity and we can go back to living our lives as normal. And then they start doing all these extra tests of healthy people and jacking up the case counts and jacking them up and jacking them up. And I'm saying, okay, suppose we uh, believe this PCR test and that all these cases are actually infected people. With that many infected people, does it not mean that we have herd immunity now? Yeah. So what happened to, like, we'll free the slaves when we've got herd immunity? And that's not we coming. We just keep rolling out the waves. Delta wave, echo wave, foxtrot wave, golf wave, they're all coming. <laughs> and, of course, the
3: next wave of the lockdowns is going to be back to your original topic, climate change.
5: Yes. And I see that coming. Yes, because there's, well, I mean, we didn't even talk about that. They're talking about climate change lockdowns now, aren't they? Yeah, Well, we mentioned that. And the government here has talked about banning, uh, you know, any, any vehicles, any new vehicles that run on fossil fuel will be banned from 2035 on. Absolutely absurd. I mean, that could be another whole episode. Well, <laughs> we'll have to hold off on that because we've
3: reached the end of this one. Thanks for joining us again, Dave. My pleasure. And, uh, I mean, we're not the new right or the old right. We're just right. <laughs> and that's why, when you join us again next week, we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then.
4: Fade into color Color into black and white Under the back.
6: I've just been made West Coast distributor for the first cold cure in medical history. <laughs> you Being brain, there is no cure for the common cold. Granny's got one. I don't believe it. My hand on the book, it ain't failed in forty-five years. Well, Clyburn wait until the papers get hold of this. Doctor tries to suppress cold cure. We <laughs> publicity. She really has an effective cure? One spoonful's all take. Ah. But first of all, I want to find out more about this cold cure. Come down to my office, Roy. Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> no uh, I'll be right with you. Don't forget, I have exclusive distribution.
4: Ready? I apologize. This morning, I
1: didn't believe you. Your cold cure really works. Positively, if you follow directions.
2: And by the way, what are the directions?
1: Take one spoonful of cold cure, eat sensible, Get lots of rest and drink plenty of water.
6: And in a week or ten days, your cold will be gone.
2: A week or ten days.
7: That's all it takes. Ain't failed in 45 years. (laughs)